Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good morning, and welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS. For nearly seven decades, Champaign-Urbana's daily gathering spot for conversation, dialogue, and ideas. You can join it on the phone, via text, or online. Our phone number is 217-356-9397. Or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Or email us at talk at wdws.com. Now... Here's your host, Brian Barnhart. And good morning, everybody. As we work our way through the fog here this morning on this Tuesday, November the 1st. Hope you had a safe and happy Halloween with all the uh, trick-or-treaters out there, whether you were handing out candy or going around with the kids or uh, doing some trick-or-treating yourself. I don't know. (laughs) I guess there is an age limit, sort of, right? But anyway, hope you had a good time, and we're into November, a high of 68 in our uh, forecast today, a week out from the election. Election Day is uh, one week from today, and we'll have some a uh, couple of different candidates on here over the course of the next uh, few days as we work our way to November 8th. But today we have Justice Robert Steigman with us for both hours, a, a great tradition here on DWS. He'll be with us between 9 and 11, and he's got a stack of stuff Ready to go. So we'll take your phone calls, emails, and texts as we get it started here today. Uh, tomorrow, Clarissa Nickerson Foreman will join us in the uh, first hour. And uh, John Brown will join us uh, in the second hour. He's a Republican candidate for sheriff. Dustin Harmon will join us at the end of the week. we got Illini Friday at the end of the week. And we got Illinois and Michigan State coming up at 2.30 on Saturday. Hutchcraft Van Service has been a longtime tradition in our community. Speaking of traditions, uh, started back in the 40s, just as American families were growing and moving throughout the country. Now, all these years later, they are one of the best moving companies in Illinois. And they're right here in Urbana, 1614 North Lincoln. You can give them a call, 217-328-3333. Then in the 50s, they uh, matched up with United Van Lines, at that time, a new carrier launched to meet a growing demand for national moving services. So started the company in the 40s, family-owned, and then uh, got with United Van Lines, and they've been doing it ever since. Congratulations on a move that you're making. They can help with that. If you have some storage you need, office relocation, short-term and summer storage for students, they have 50 trucks, vans, and trailers. They just make it a very, very easy process for you. And they moved us like three times in the last four or five years and did it for a station that's on the air and three stations that are on the air 24-7 and did it seamlessly. So Hutchcraft Van Service, give them a call, 217-328-3333. Justice Steigman joins us next, 909 on a penny for your thoughts, back after this timeout. 
Illini family, this is Brett Bielema. We're back this Saturday against Michigan State. And Illini game day coverage is right here on DWS. And on the coverage is right here on DWS. And on the News Gazette app. Nine twelve on a penny for your thoughts with Justice Robert Steigman here with us a week out from the election. Judge Steigman, good to see you. Terrific good. to be here, bro. Yeah, excited about football. Oh, it's uh, <laughs> who who uh, is it? Right. This is you know I've been uh, for decades following Illinois sports and Illinois football, and this is the most exciting and remarkable season I can recall. Part of it, I guess, is because it was so unexpected, but. Uh, these guys are playing great. Uh, I think the coaching, uh, Brett Bielma is at least the best, is the best since at least Mike White, in my judgment. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says all the right things. He's got this team believing in him as it should. And uh, <clears throat> this is really a great time to be in the Line A fam. I think somebody described him as a professional collegiate coach. Yes. I think that's a pretty good description. Yes, and uh, I I love his description uh, given his experience at Wisconsin, then at Arkansas, then in the pros, that this is the best version of me you've got Mm -hmm. because he's been there, he's experienced, uh, he knows what to do and how to do it, and uh, we have great confidence in him. And I I think it's terrific. I think – and he's such a detail guy. Uh, I was just commenting to Adam uh, as we were waiting to come on that uh, I remember under Lovey we wondered what was the uniform going to be week after week. And Bilma says it's going to be the same uniform because we want it to be a statement. We mm-hmm. want people on TV to say, see the uniform? Well, that's Illinois. And mm-hmm. I think, well, of course. Mm-hmm. He thinks of those details. Yes. Yeah, and you were uh, at the Esquire last night. I was, yeah. and uh, listening to Coach Underwood, who's also terrific, uh, uh, who has <clears throat> great responses to uh, the press and the public. And I asked him a question uh, that I didn't understand, <clears throat> and I thought his answer was very revealing, he talks about how important communication is among the players. And as a matter of fact, he said it's more important than how well you shoot, particularly on defense, and how Luke Goody, that's such a terrible loss because mm-hmm. he was so good at it. I said, well, Coach, what are they communicating? Because I didn't know. I never played the game, and I can't hear him. And he went into some detail explaining that. Mm-hmm. And I thought it's, it's a great thing <clears throat> that the coach does and the station does to be able to have these kinds of forums, to mm-hmm. ask questions and get these kinds of answers. Justice Steigman with us up until 11 o'clock. If you have a comment, thought, question, you want a legal matter, you want uh, some guidance on, he's uh, here for that, of course, a longtime judge in this county. And then, of course, uh, on the appellate court, how many years now? Uh 34. 34 years. On the appellate court. On the appellate. And uh, next month, I will start my 47th year as a judge. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it's so the first 46 that I heard, just, Brian. <laughs> I mean, after that, it's all kind of downhill. It's all easy, yeah. <clears throat> or a week out from uh, the election. Yes. A week from today. Uh, we've had um, judicial candidates on. Right. Um, I know that from the political standpoint, they have to put an R or a D by their name. Right. But is that as a judge? Is that kind of maybe you you've had to do it too? Is it yes a little well, distasteful? I guess to no, have to do it. No, it's it's not distasteful. It's uh, that's that would be too strong a term. There are only yeah. two ways to get to be a judge, which is a wonderful job. Um, 
either you can be a, appointed like in the federal system or you can be elected as in this situation and lots of other states. Between the two, I'm reminded of uh, Winston Churchill's great line <clears throat> about how awful democracy is except for all the other systems. And uh, yeah. uh, there are lots of flaws to the elective system, but those flaws notwithstanding, it's much better than the appointive system. Don't believe this idea of merit selection. It's uh, it's it's a political process. Uh, the line I used to like to use when I would speak to the Rotary Club is, uh, if I were trying to be appointed to the bench, then uh, I'd have to find uh, which political power brokers upon whom I'd have to perform various unnatural sex acts to get the job. I'd prefer to run instead of that. Mm. Uh, and uh, this is, the, the point, Brian, is there are lots of people who want to be judges and could be good judges, and there's got to be some way to uh, decide who is it's going yeah. to be. And uh, it was very interesting, as a matter of fact, in 1976 when I first ran for the bench and was elected. I was in support then of the appointive system as opposed to the elective system. But having gone through the election, I decided it's a better system because it made me a better judge. That is, I had to go out and campaign and meet all kinds of people and talk to groups. And I obtained a respect for people in their common sense and their just general good behavior that I don't think I had before that. Mm. And I, I like to think it made me a better judge's result. Well, and I think because uh, there are certain positions when you think of like a sheriff or a coroner or right. whatever, I mean, you're doing the job. And so, you know, does it really matter whether they're an R or a D? But It, it, but. it really, <clears throat> once you're there, it's the brotherhood or now the brotherhood and the sisterhood of the judiciary. And uh, <clears throat> it really doesn't matter. For instance, I served for many years on the appellate court with Sue Myerskoff, who is the only elected Democrat. And she was my fine colleague, and I enjoyed working with her. And uh, uh, there, I cannot think in all the years I've been in the appellate court, for instance, of some issue which was a partisan issue where being a Democrat or Republican made any difference. Now, sometimes we have different views on things. Uh, uh, you might be more conservative. Uh, <clears throat> on questions of law and order, for instance. But that really uh, is not mm -hmm. a partisan matter. And uh, uh, <clears throat> another example was when Arnold Blackman was elected in 1996 as the only Democrat in uh, this circuit. And I remember telling Arnold at the time, Arnold, um, you're going to discover that uh, that will have no issue at all, that uh, you will be welcome uh, people will welcome you aboard and do your job and work with your colleagues. And uh, he discovered that was the case, as it was for me, too. Mm -hmm. So um, it's kind of a strange system because we have R's and D's here. Uh, but once someone is elected, there will be no more partisan aspect. 217-356-9397. I want to get to the Supreme Court's been busy in the last couple sure. of days. But how does it, like, uh, I know Rita Garman's name comes up as someone who um, appoints when there's a vacancy to be filled. Right. How does that work? The, who does what to make when Judge Baum was appointed or when whoever was appointed? What Under the current Illinois Constitution, uh, when there's a judicial vacancy, the Supreme Court justice in that particular district has stewardship, so to speak, for that district. 
and can fill a vacancy temporarily, by the way, until there's an election, until the election, which is what's going on right now. For instance, when Sam Limentado was selected by Rita two years ago, he's now serving as a judge. But to keep that position, he has to be elected. Uh, so Rita... Rita Garman, who is the Supreme Court Justice for this district, uh, I think had a committee, which a lot of uh, Supreme Court judges do, to interview and advise her, and then she interviewed the candidates herself, and then would make a selection on whom to appoint. Uh, The last time, I think it was Sam Limentado, who's now running as a Republican, and Ben Dyer, who's now running as a Democrat. So... uh, Ben Dyer has no opposition. Sam, of course, does. He's mm-hmm. now uh, running against Chad uh, Beckett for mm-hmm. the position. But that's how it works throughout the state. For instance, there have been vacancies in Cook County on the Cook County bench, and they have Supreme Court judges up there. It's interesting. They have three in Cook County because of population. So they alternate when there's a vacancy who gets to decide who will replace that person. And, of course, it's a big advantage if you've been appointed to a position, then you're running for it. That was my situation, for instance, in 1994. I'd served on the appellate court for five years by assignment when uh, the Supreme Court said, we're going from four elected positions to six, and I was told, if I want to keep this wonderful job, I have to run for it, and I did in 1994. It was a big advantage to have already had the position, and people could evaluate me then. Mm-hmm. So if Rita's retired now, Rita Garman, then yes. who is the judge over this area now? Um, <clears throat> Lisa Holder-White is the 4th District uh, judge. She's my former colleague in the appellate court, and she's a terrific person, terrific judge, and uh, I'm sure she'll do a great job. But what's interesting is uh, Champaign County is no longer in the 4th District. It's now in the 5th District, uh, as is Vermilion County and uh, Pyatt County. And that judge <coughs> is um, David Overstreet on the Supreme Court. So, in other words, if there were a vacancy in Champaign County, then the um, uh, Randy Rosenbaum or Roger Weber retired, let's say. Yeah. Then that would be a vacancy to be filled by uh, David Overstreet, the Supreme Court Justice. Uh, and he'd, I think, go through the same process of have a committee and interview people and make a determination. And there is a partisan aspect of it in this sense. The Cook County judges, who are all Democrat, when they fill these vacancies, are appointing Democrats to do it, who are then going to run as Democrats. <clears throat> Typically, Rita Garman, when because she was Republican when she was filling vacancies, she appointed a Republican, and she expected these people to run as Republicans to be elected. And um, so there is that aspect of it. But again, once you're elected, you really shed the party label because— the, your example is very good. There really isn't a Democrat or Republican way to be the sheriff or the coroner or a judge. Mm-hmm. All right. I know you want to get to the Supreme Court. Sure. Let me get a break in, and we'll come back and talk about uh, the Supreme Court's been busy been. Uh, hearing things. So we'll talk about that with Justice Robert Steigman. Your thoughts, questions, welcome in just a moment here on Penny for Your Thoughts. It's easy to listen to us anywhere. Download the News Gazette app and click on Listen Live to News Talk 1400 at 93.9 FM. Live to News Talk 1400 at 93.9 FM. 
On a penny for your thoughts, good to have you with us. Justice Robert Steigman with us up until 11 o'clock on this Tuesday, first day of November. i got to change the calendar. All right, Supreme Court's back in session. They have a new justice, of course, and uh, they've been busy. They've been busy, and yesterday was the uh, Harvard uh, Affirmative Action case, which <clears throat> I think is um, the most important case they've had in decades because it's an opportunity for the court to change the direction of this country, which needs changing, in my opinion, away from um, where we've gone. The country ought to be colorblind and uh, affirmative action and racial preferences generally and this racialization which has taken place uh, at so many levels of our society has to be stopped and the Supreme Court of the United States is the only agency that can stop it. So let me explain what I mean. We're talking about whether the um, racial preferences that are set forth in this affirmative action uh, for uh, people applying to Harvard and the University of North Carolina can be found to be constitutional or consistent with various federal laws prohibiting racial discrimination. <clears throat> and my hope is <clears throat> that the Supreme Court won't just say, uh, no, it isn't permitted, but will uh, give it a, a broader reading. I want to go back to Plessy versus Ferguson. That's that famous, indeed infamous case from 1896, uh, which was uh, the beginning of uh, separate but equal. Mm -hmm. And it's a reminder of how Supreme Court decisions can have such an effect for good or bad. In this case, a terrible effect, because this was the legal basis for Jim Crow, which Mm -hmm. uh, this country suffered through uh, for decades, half a century. And this was a... 126 years ago, it was an eight-to-one decision, and um, what I want to do is read the short excerpt from the dissent of John Marshall Harlan, because this is where I hope, and maybe I'm just being unduly optimistic, I think the Supreme Court is going to go. In his dissent in Plessy versus Ferguson that essentially approved separate but equal, Justice Harlan wrote this. In view of the Constitution and the eye of the law, there is in this country no superior, dominant, ruling class of citizens. There is no caste here. Our Constitution is colorblind. Let me pause here for a moment. Our Constitution is colorblind. It neither knows nor tolerates classes among citizens. In respect of civil rights, all citizens are equal before the law. The humblest is the peer of the most powerful. The law regards man as man and takes no account of his surroundings or his color when his civil rights are as guaranteed by the supreme law of the land are involved. So what he said, by the way, he predicted that the Plessy decision would eventually become as infamous as the court's earlier Dred Scott case, and of course he was right, But think about what he just said. The law regards man as man and takes no account of his surroundings or his color. Mm -hmm. Our Constitution is colorblind and neither knows nor tolerates classes among citizens and respect of civil rights. All citizens are equal before the law. Now consider that with what's been going on 
throughout the United States, most recently, not just affirmative action, but that's really uh, the foot in the door, <clears throat> when we're talking about um, diversity, equity, and uh, inclusion. And um, what does that mean, and how does that apply? Well, the uh, best example is a week ago, two weeks ago, you may have heard of a fellow by the name of um, Professor Ibram X. Kendi mm-hmm. <clears throat> the, uh, from Boston University. He was paid thirty thousand, excuse me, $35,000 for a half-hour speech on this campus. And uh, he is the uh, primary mover of the critical race theory, which uh, is spreading throughout uh, these institutions. <clears throat> and this is what he wrote. This is maybe the, the key of what he stands for. And how to be an anti-racist, by the way, uh, so you understand, in Kendi's term and the terms being used by the critical race theory people, racism only applies one way. Uh, it's only applied to racism against blacks. Blacks can't be racist against whites. They can't be racist against Asians. It's it's a very it's a very strange phenomenon because the the claim is because blacks have no power. Of course, you know what happens if they're the mayor and prosecutor and president of the county board in Chicago or the president of the United States. Apparently, that doesn't make any difference. But this is what he wrote <clears throat> in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Kendi argues that quote. The only remedy to resist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to pass discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. So here is this guy who was paid $35,000 for a speech at the University of Illinois who is explaining what this means and how this works. And uh, this is what I hope the Supreme Court will reject. And by the way, people might not understand the evidence underlying this case. So let, let me go back to the Harvard case because there's some aspects of it that I think will make clear how racist what was going on at Harvard, North Carolina is. In the Harvard case, the plaintiffs revealed that the college is penalizing Asian American applicants in favor of whites, blacks, and Hispanics by engaging in racial balancing overemphasizing race and, and rejecting workable race-neutral alternatives to achieve race, racial diversity. An expert testified about a hypothetical case of an Asian-American male with a 25% chance of admission. Changing the applicant's race to white would increase his admission chances to 36%, leaving all other factors constant. Changing the applicant's race to Hispanic boosts his chances to 75%, while changing it to African-American would boost his chance of admission to 95%. Now, the important thing here is all other criteria remain the same on what you've done, your background, and so forth. Uh, so that the only thing changing here is race. Although Asian-American applicants to Harvard ranked above all other racial and ethnic groups on such objective measures as grades, pausing again, it was Asian-Americans who brought the suit, by the way. It wasn't white guys. It was... Uh, students for Fairness for Asian mm-hmm. Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the admissions of staff, the admission staff gives them dismerit, demerits on such objective measures of personality as lacking leadership and confidence and being less likable and kind. Somehow these Asians, 
uniformly did badly on those supposedly objective scores. But listeners should consider this. Harvard has a long and ugly history of discriminating against high-achieving minorities. As many historians have pointed out, Harvard's leadership once believed that it had too many Jews on campus because almost a quarter of all Harvard freshmen were Jewish. Holistic admissions criteria were concocted to limit the number of Jews admitted. The famous Jewish quotas. By the way, uh, it affected my own family. My uh, wonderful brother-in-law, Victor Feldman, <coughs> who was a um, longtime ophthalmologist in this community at Christie Clinic and a brilliant, wonderful guy. He grew up really poor in the city of Chicago, and he had wonderful grades and wonderful test scores. And in 1956, he had graduated from the University of Illinois uh, down here with uh, excellent grades, and he applied to medical school one of them was to Northwestern University Medical School, but he had no money, and he needed to get a scholarship in order to go, and they awarded one to him. In the summer of 1956, before he enrolled, he got a call from Northwestern University and said, uh, Mr. Feldman, are you Jewish? Yes. Well, we're sorry, but we have to withdraw your scholarship. You can still be admitted, but our, our quota for Jews on scholarship has been filled. Hmm. This was 1956, and we had the same games being played that late about uh, how, oh, we're going to take a holistic approach. No, they're not. This is all racist and racial bias, and and the bottom line is uh, we, going back to what we talked about in Plessy versus Ferguson and Justice Marshall's wonderful dissent, the Constitution doesn't permit this. The Constitution requires the government to be colorblind. What I want to see is a decision that will tear all of this asunder because it's been a big mistake to ever permit this and to say that uh, this is in violation of the Constitution, violation of the Civil Rights Acts, and to then empower people to sue the administrators and anyone else associated with universities who are discriminating on the basis of race. Though, one last point to mention on this. <clears throat> you may have heard that the uh, universities have decided they don't need the SAT and ACT and LSAT for law schools. Uh, they can do without that. That's going to make that optional. And they started that a few years ago. People like me understand what the motivation was for that. Namely, they saw this decision coming. And they don't want to have evidence to demonstrate just how racist their admissions process is. One way to do that is, of course, don't have any tests. Mm. So, you know, we years ago, at I think it was Duke University, leaked some information on the difference in test scores among the various race categories. And it was astonishing. And it, it demonstrated how racist this process was. Last thing to mention on all this is this. I've been involved in government for a long time. And when the government does something that they think the public will approve of, they trumpet it. But when they do things they think the public doesn't like, they try to hide it or dissemble. The University of Illinois and all the other universities hide their admissions records. They don't reveal, they don't want people to know 
and of course, as race conscious as they are, they know what the test scores are. They know who's applying. They know who they're admitting. But they don't want to reveal that, and you can't get that information. Justice Steigman with us up until 11 o'clock today. John is up here. Hi, John. Hi, Brian. Hi, uh, Judge. Good morning. Sorry to get off the subject of racial uh, stuff, but, uh, well, uh, I had a question on crime. Uh, everybody's talking about how bad crime is. My theory, if, if they would make prison so unbearable, no one would want to go there. Well, and, uh, it's, a, it's a good theory, John, but let me say they've achieved that goal already. I mean, prisons are really awful. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> it might be that the criminals even know that, but um, they're criminals because they don't have much in the way of self-discipline and self-restraint. So uh, I don't think, um, you know, I've been involved in the criminal justice system for a long time and I have an occasion to talk to uh, criminals personally and defense attorneys. I don't think there's much confusion or uncertainty about just how awful prison is. And and by the way, uh, forget the Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption and other movies about uh, prisoners being abused by prison staff. This, uh, If it ever happened in the 30s, it certainly is not the case any longer. The reason prisons are so terrible is because they have a bunch of psychopaths who are thrown in there, and if you're a prisoner, you can't get away from them. And the prison guards can only do so much to protect you. So uh, people live in fear of their lives from being beaten or otherwise abused by fellow prisoners 24 hours a day. That's the primary reason they're so terrible. Yeah. Well, there goes my theory. (laughs) All right. Thank you, John. All right. Good to hear from you. 941. Let me slide a break in here real quick. Got some callers waiting. We'll get to you here in a moment. A couple of texts in as well. With Justice Robert Steigman, he's with us both hours up until 11 o'clock today here on A Penny for Your Thoughts. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Get the answers for your lawn and garden problems from the Prairie Gardens Plant Experts. Live Saturday mornings at 8.15 here on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM. I love you just the way God made you, girl, he don't make Nine forty-four on a penny for your thoughts here with Justice Robert Steigman, the Beef House in Covington, Indiana. If you need a great meal, you need a lunch buffet. Maybe a lunch today. You could go over there. They serve a great food for the lunch buffet, or you can order off the uh, humongous menu. <laughs> I mean, it's a big menu, a lot to choose from besides the uh, steaks that are sitting there, the uh, cuts of beef when you walk in, hamburger, cheeseburger, filet or cod sandwich, maybe. Um, you know, chicken, pork, pasta, seafood, it's all available to you. The Beef House, Exit 4 in Covington, Indiana. We've got a big showdown with Purdue coming up here in a couple of weeks. So, um, you know, some folks may be coming from that direction. 
Or if you want to go over and make a pregame visit to Bob and say hello and uh, talk about the Illini and the Boilermaker game with Bob, you can certainly do that. Bob and Bonnie Wright, exit four, Covington, Indiana, the Beef House in Covington. Justice Robert Steigman is with us here for both hours. Got another John here. Go ahead, John. Hi. Um, Hi. Position of Justice Steigman on affirmative action is certainly a very respectable position, but I just wanted to straighten out uh, the Harlan family history that we cannot know if the first Justice Harlan whose words were quoted accurately would be how he would vote today. Justice, the first Justice Harlan had either a half-brother or first cousin, it depends on whether you believe his father or his grandfather, uh, Robert Harlan, who was African-American and a very successful businessman. Uh, the court before um, Plessy versus Ferguson had stricken down the federal laws that would have protected uh, recently freed race, um, and in 1876, there was an agreement on the presidency so that the Republicans withdrew all of the federal troops from the South. But in, if the first Justice Harlan would know that his brother, Robert's children, because of the way society worked, and Justice Steigman mentioned Jim Crow era, that... His, Justice Harlan's grandson would be on the Supreme Court, whereas the descendant of Robert Harlan could only manage to get a job on the grounds crew at the Supreme Court because Justice Harlan intervened for him. So if the first Justice Harlan was, could be put 100 years in the future, and saw what happened to his half-brother's family, we have no idea how that Justice Harlan would vote. Um, okay. And that's just to say that if you say, I'm for a colorblind constitution, that's fine. But if you say, I'm for a colorblind constitution like Justice Harlan, then that means you don't know anything about the Harlan family. Hmm. Okay. Well Thank you, John. Well, yeah, I have a. I thank you, John, for the call. I have a <clears throat> couple responses. Uh, first, uh, it's always a mistake to um, take statements or prose or um, uh, decisions like this and to say, "Well, who said it?" and to try to diminish or attack the prose. Uh, because of the failings of the man who said it. Maybe the best example of this <clears throat> is um, the author of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson, who was a slave owner, yet who wrote those wonderful words, all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are uh, pursuit of happiness and so forth. Um, Jefferson, being a slaveholder, certainly by modern standards, was therefore a flawed individual. He shouldn't have owned slaves. It was a bad thing. Does that diminish what he wrote? Does that mean what he wrote uh, was had less merit because of his personal flaws? And the answer is a resounding no. Another example of this, and people constantly misunderstand this, is uh, music and art. 
Uh, Picasso was a terrible human being. He was a misogynist. He was uh, really a miserable person. Does that affect his art in any way? And the answer, of course, is no. It has an existence all its own. Just as Justice Harlan's uh, dissent in Plessy, the last example to mention, is uh, Richard Wagner, who wrote Tannhäuser and all these other uh, operas and music, which are astonishingly, in my judgment, beautiful. He was also a vicious anti-Semite who hated Jews more than Hitler wound up hating Jews, and that's why he was the Third Reich's favorite composer. He was also kind of a miserable SOB in his own right. Does any of that diminish his music? And the answer is, of course, no. So to answer John's question, who cares what Justice Harlan 100 years later would say or do in a given case? What I'm looking to is what he wrote these are the words we should live by. These are the words of our Constitution. And the last thing I should mention about this is uh, <clears throat> John talking about how uh, uh, the Republicans uh, withdrew uh, from the 1876 election. That was a contested election of Rutherford B. Hayes. Mm-hmm. and uh, Samuel Tilden. Yeah, and the Samuel Tilden, and they, they made an agreement with the Democrats, who were the party of slavery and the party of Jim Crow, to say, they said, the Democrats would say, we'll let Rutherford B. Hayes get enough electoral votes to be elected if you, Republican and Republican administration, will withdraw federal troops from the South that were there to protect the then freed slaves. And, you know, since he pointed out the Republicans, let me just mention that the Democrat Party was the party of slavery and was the party of Jim Crow and was the party of the Ku Klux Klan its entire history right up through the 1960s, as I mentioned last week when I was on this show, Bull Connor, who was the uh, archetype of the vicious, racist, southern uh, police officer, was a Democrat national committeeman in 1960 at the Democrat National Convention that nominated John F. Kennedy. All right, Justice Steinman with us here till 11 o'clock. Mark is up next. Hey, Mark. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Uh, Judge, you mentioned the uh, how universities hide what they don't want people to see. Yes. Well, that's happening at the high school level at Muhammad right now. I've been going to school board meetings for a year with Eric Hendrickson, and we've learned a lot. Early on, they told me there's no social justice or critical race theory going on in that school. Well, I found a uh, article recently that showed that they had collaborated with the University of Illinois professor Kevin Tan, who's a social work professor, and it shows a picture of Lindsey Hall, the past superintendent, and uh, Nicole Rummel, who is in charge of curriculum. I had asked Nicole in the hallway prior to a meeting once what what kind of social social justice, critical race theory garbage is in the books, and she said there's nothing here. Well, here there's an article how they're collaborating with this uh, University of Illinois professor. And to give you an idea, I'll just repeat the first sentence. The impact of the 2020 U.S. presidential election on children's mental health and the role of social and emotional learning and healing racial wounds will be explored in upcoming online parenting seminars and other activities. Is that not the definition of critical race theory? Well, it, it certainly suggests that. I would just say again that... Uh, Transparency is the best disinfectant. 
when the government is hiding things, when any level or aspect of the government is hiding things, it's generally because they know the public won't like it. As I went back, <clears throat> I've been involved in the government for many years. And when the government thinks the public will like what they're doing, they trumpet it. We all know that. They mm-hmm. say, look at this good stuff. And if it can't get information from the public or from the government about what they're doing, there's a reason. Yeah. They figure well, the chumps won't like this, so let's keep it from them. It's like the fight over putting on the gas tanks, saying, hey, the legislature passed this for you. <clears throat> We're going to save you money at the gas pump. <clears throat> yes. But uh, other things that get passed in the middle of the night, yeah, well, uh, you know, or in, a, in whatever, you know, it's... Uh, and by the way, let me just add quickly in that, that's of course the Safety Act. I was asked by the News Gazette to comment on that, and I did. And I want to mention again uh, on air what I wrote in my column, it's irresponsible and inexcusable for any legislator to have voted for that. Uh, my first job out of law school was working for the Legislative Reference Bureau, and I saw how the legislation works. I was there for a year. And the way it should work always especially for serious bills, is you have a written proposal that goes before a committee and the legislators can then hear input from opponents and proponents. They can amend it by specific uh, proposals in the bill, various amendments. I've been through that process hundreds of times. I know how it works. And then later on when I made my own proposals to the General Assembly on some criminal justice things we've talked about, 20 years later, again, I'm going through that process. <clears throat> the Safety Act was an embarrassment. This reminds me, as I wrote my uh, column, that uh, of the Nancy Pelosi wonderful line, which is the height of uh, legislative irresponsibility, we have to pass Obamacare so we can find out what's in it. Uh, that's essentially what's going on with the Safety Act, which was presented to these legislators and uh, hardly any time to look it over and think about it. I know some people, some legislators try to excuse themselves by saying, well, we talked about this stuff. It had been discussed. That's nonsense. Let me emphasize this again. <clears throat> that's nonsense because that's not how legislation gets passed. It's only passed with written documents, with written phrases, with words you can see, which is subject to analysis and subject to possible amendments and votes. And I'm not impressed by Scott Bennett saying, oh, yeah, we're going to go back and fix it. Why did you vote for it in the first place, Senator? 9.56, a quick break. Back with more here at the top of the hour coming up. CBS News, first this time out here on A Penny for Your Thoughts. We're with Justice Robert Steigman. He'll be with us for the next hour, so hang in there. Get your texts and emails in and your phone calls as well. We have CBS News coming up here at the top of the hour, and then more with Justice Steigman. Clarissa Nickerson Foreman tomorrow in the 9 o'clock hour on WDWS Champaign-Urbana at the Tone It's 10. It's the second hour of A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM, WDWS. You can join in on the phone 
via text or online. Our phone number is 217-356-9397 or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357 or send an email to talk at WDWS.com. Now, here again, Brian Barnhart. All right, welcome back. Got a little cloudier here, a little foggier as the morning has rolled on. Uh, headed for a high of 68 today, 71 tomorrow, 73 on Thursday, 69 on Saturday with some rain in the morning. Of course, the game against Michigan State is at 2.30 on Saturday. We're with Justice Robert Steigman here up until the top of the next hour. 217-356-9397 is the number. Text line, Castle Heating and Cooling presents that, 217-351-5357. And you can email us, talk at WDWS.com. I just heard from CBS News. They've had it on this morning. Chief Justice John Roberts today temporarily blocking the House Ways and Means Committee from obtaining former President Trump's tax returns, giving both sides until later this week to submit arguments in the case. The administrative order will put any action in the case on hold. Uh, the pres- former president on Monday had asked the Supreme Court to intervene in his long-running legal battle with the House Ways and Means Committee. So Interesting. What, what's your take on all that? Well, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> I think um, it's high- when you're talking about congressional investigations and subpoenas, it um, shouldn't be confused with uh, real law coming from courts. Hmm. <clears throat> Congress is uh, is not that way. And um, uh, when we're talking about uh, contempt and findings, uh, the public doesn't seem to recall that uh, then Attorney General Eric Holder was found in contempt of Congress for failing to comply with its subpoenas and requests for documents and the like. And uh, the matter was referred to the Department of Justice for a prosecution when the Department of Justice was then headed by, wait for it, Eric Holder, who declined to prosecute Eric Holder uh, mm-hmm. on behalf of the contempt. So <clears throat> um, I'm, I don't pay much attention to this, but I'm glad you mentioned <clears throat> John Roberts because one of the reasons I'm optimistic that this racial preferences and the racism which is underlying affirmative action is going to be abolished is because of what he wrote some time back. Uh, I think it was a dissent. And it's a wonderful phrase. The way to stop racial discrimination is to stop racial discriminating. Well, what a concept, you know, that works for me. And uh, I think uh, it's an indication of where John Roberts is going to come out on this. All right. We're a week out from the election. Uh, Speaking of that, question comes in does the judge believe the 2020 presidential election was fair meaning no fraud or anything that would have changed the outcome and does does the judge believe the political candidates who say otherwise are a danger to our democracy i refuse to answer the question and i uh leads into what i want to get to about how the media is playing us for a chump on this question and and let me explain how okay There are two different kinds of election denials going on. Uh, When I was last here, uh, you may recall I talked about the dozens of Democrats who have asserted 
that Ronald, excuse me, that uh, Donald Trump was an illegitimate president because of the Russian collusion hoax in 2016. And just as a reminder, that includes, we're not talking about some obscure local people, perhaps. We're talking about Hillary Clinton. We're talking about Joe Biden. We're talking about Kamala Harris. We're talking about the, the leaders of the Black Congressional Caucus, all of whom, including, by the way, several people currently in the January 6th committee, uh, all of whom alleged in the phrases, Trump was an illegitimate president. So let's, let's go and in, in, let's think about the two different kind of election deniers we have here. <clears throat> we have the election deniers from 2016, all these people I talked about before, and we have the election deniers from 2020. Donald Trump and the people support him and say the election was stolen or it was bad and the like. So let's ask this. On, on the delusional scale, which is crazier, our elected president is a foreign asset who colluded, whatever that means, with an adversary to win the election that's one. Or two, vote, vote counts were fraudulent to the extent of changing the outcome of the election. Now, I suggest both of these claims are wrong, but the difference is the first is absolutely crazy, while the second is unsubstantiated. But somehow it's only the second which is a subject to the media, like this very question here. Uh, <clears throat> so... What's happened is the media is playing the public for a chump by constantly asking this question of Republicans or people they think are Republicans. What about the 2020 election? Do you agree with Donald Trump? I have yet to hear the media ask anybody about the 2016 election. As a for instance, <clears throat> the best example is um, the, the race for county clerk. We listen to Aaron Ammons' commercials who are blasting Terrence Stuber for supposedly being an election denier in the 2020 election and uh, because he's not willing or has not been consistent on what his view is on that. <clears throat> has anyone ever asked Aaron Adams, well, Aaron Adams, what about the 2016 election? What about the Russia hoax? that uh, President Trump colluded with Russia and he's not a legitimate president, as discussed by the current president of the United States and vice president, as discussed by the woman who ran and lost in 20, and all these other people I mentioned, <clears throat> no one asked that. <clears throat> and it even includes, I regret to say, the News Gazette. I have here from two weeks ago a full-page story uh, interviewing Aaron Abbins and Terrence Stuber, who's running against them, talking about their views of the county clerk and why people should be elected. And to its disgrace, let me underline that, to its disgrace, the News Gazette, I don't know who it is who asked this, I suspect it might be Tom Kasich, but I don't know, there's no one listed here, says this <clears throat> to Terrence Stuber, quote, Last time we'll ask this, do you believe that Joe Biden was legally elected president of the United States or that the election was stolen from Donald Trump? So they're asking the one election denier question where the claim is unsubstantiated, <clears throat> but somehow the News Gazette never asks 
Aaron Ammons, what about the 2016 election, which has, by the way, these are recent statements within the last two years by Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and all these other people I mentioned, who uh, claim uh, Trump is illegitimate, what I call on the delusional scale, really crazy. And uh, going back to it, in January 2017, after Trump's win, House Democrats objected to certifying the election results in nine states, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. And 70 House Democrats boycotted Trump's inauguration because of their claim that this was uh, somehow fraudulent. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about when I say you're being played for chumps. Here is the Chicago Tribune talking about uh, its endorsements in the 14th Congressional District, uh, where Representative Lauren Underwood, incumbent Democrat, is running against her opponent, Scott Greider of Oswego. So the Tribune endorses Underwood. Can you guess one of the reasons why? Quote, her Republican opponent, Scott Greider of Oswego, continues to dodge the question of whether he thinks Biden was legitimately elected president. Now, ask yourself this. Was Underwood asked about Hillary and the others' claim that the 2000 election was rigged and her election denialism? Of course not. That's because the media never does this. And the first time I saw this was, as a matter of fact, back in May when the, uh, I think it was the 13th District Congressional Candidates, uh, where Ryan Deering was one of them and we had three others, Republicans were debating, and the media, and it's, a, it's another sign why the Republicans are the stupid party. Why did they pick these people who asked these questions? And the media insisted on pressing them, what about Trump's election denialism of the 2020 election? I'll, I'll just leave it with this. Does any listener ever recall any Democrat, Nikki Budzinski running in Congress, uh, anyone else ever being asked, what's your position on the Russian hoax and the claim by the leaders of the Democratic Party that uh, Donald Trump <clears throat> was an illegitimate president? Last thing I mention is the only person in the media who I've ever seen who has acknowledged this was junk was Brett Stevens, who did it this last summer in a column for the New York Times, a New York Times columnist, and this is what he wrote. To this day, precious few anti-Trumpers have been honest with themselves about the elaborate hoax, there's just no other word for it, that was the Steele dossier and all the bogus allegations credulously parroted in the mainstream media that flowed from it, unquote. He's the only one. No one else, not Rachel Maddow, no one at CNN, no one else, not uh, Schumer, not any of the people who trumpeted this Russian hoax have said anything about it, have, re- have apologized for it, and said they were wrong. But by God, they want to know about your position on the 2020 election. Well, I, in my opinion, this goes back even further. If you go back to um, the 2000 election, of course, which was hotly disputed, of course, and came down to Florida and the Supreme Court. And John place. Kerry in 2004, in he, he was elected yeah. and the Republicans somehow stole votes in Ohio. My, my thoughts are that it just 
whoever's doing it, whoever's, whichever side is claiming, well, you didn't really win, um, it just has a corrosive effect on our public trust in each other, of I course. guess. And it's a gotcha question, just you know, like this yeah. caller. I gotcha, Steigman. I gotcha, because you're going to be an election yeah. denier for 2020. Yeah. And I think it's bogus, it's nonsense, it's one-sided, and the Republicans are just stupid about this. No one talks about this, and they should. And I think when the when the politicians um, use people against each other to say, "Well, you're a this or you're a that," you don't you didn't believe in the election. It, people just, like I said, it just has a corrosive effect on the fabric that has our society pulled together it just tears it apart of course it's supposedly attack on democracy i mean that's what they say whichever side you're on how about this last week how about this pre-election denialism hillary clinton quote right-wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election unquote now, she never explains who these people are or how they plan to, quote, literally steal the next presidential election. So are her remarks, by the standards uh, mm-hmm. being used here, un-American and a threat to democracy? Well, it's it's kind of reminds me of when we were burning our brush pile on our farm. Yeah. And to get, you know, you'd light the fire and you'd have a stack of wood and limbs and everything that had come down from the willow trees or whatever the case. And to get it to burn faster, you threw some oil on it. Yeah, there you and go. the flames would shoot up, and that's what statements like Hillary made. They yeah. just throw gas on the fire, oil on the fire, which I just don't think is helpful. So now we're but. the point is we've now had the foundation. See, if the Republicans, Trump or DeSantis or anyone else wins in twenty twenty four, we now know in advance it was stolen. Says Hillary. It's illegitimate. Yeah, uh, Scott, how you doing, Scott? I am doing fine. Last couple times that uh, Aaron Ammons was on, I wanted to call in, and I just wasn't in position to get to a phone. Perhaps the judge has a better memory than I do. One of the problems um, associated with absentee balloting, open balloting, and everything else, when it was done in Europe, was that there was rampant evidence of voter fraud, in particular in France, and it was abandoned. I've never heard that discussed, but Judge, do you remember those stats better than I do? It seems like they had evidence of nearly 15%, 10 to 15% voter fraud in France, and I will hang up and, and listen. Okay, <clears throat> thank you. I don't. Uh, I, I, my, my position on the voting business <clears throat> has been for years. And by the way, let me make it clear here. I'm not taking any position on the Stuber versus Ammons race. What I'm pointing out is I'm attacking the News Gazette's question that they only, it's one-sided and it's a gotcha, bogus question to begin with. But with regard to election, there should be paper ballots. You should mark them. There should be no involvement of computers or anything else. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think to avoid election fraud, there should be uh, election day elections with mail-in ballots uh, only for special categories like people who are out of state or ill or uh, in the military. I think to, to ensure... Because it's so important. You know, we, we want to make sure our elections are fairly done. Uh, I can cite that election expert Joseph Stalin, who uh, explained that uh, it really doesn't matter who votes. All that matters is who counts the votes. Now, you know, he was in charge of the USSR and worked for him. 
1022 at DWS. By the way, you are, I, I don't know who did the Q. I don't know who does the Q&A, but I, Tom's been retired for a little while. So oh, well, I don't then know. it's a... So I don't know who it is. <laughs> just just to square that up, okay, uh, well, Tom's only writing once a week, so I don't think if he did that. And right. I apologize to Tom because <laughs> okay. it, uh, uh, whoever it was is playing gotcha and shouldn't have and asked... And, and, of course, even if you're going to ask this question, which has nothing, of course, to do with the mm. uh, criteria for being elected, the least you could have done is asked, by the way, Mr. Evans, what about the 2016 election, the Russian hoax, and all the leaders of your party who have said as recently as last year uh, that uh, Trump mm. was an illegitimate president? Or Stacey Abrams in Georgia, who has been denying that. <clears throat> Who's the governor in exile. Uh, you know, right. she's, she's a denialist, too. Yes. All right. Hey, Cliff, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I hear Judge Steigman on the phone with you. Had a quick uh, kind of a combination question, comment, uh, and that is uh, what the judge might have to say about this whole concept of we should let every vote count. That seems to be the rallying cry so often. And I... I agree with that to a point, but I think it would be more accurate to say we should let every legitimate, authorized, legal vote count one time. And I think the uh, every vote count crowd kind of leaves out those important details. Well, it's your, it's right. a good point. Uh, everyone says, you know, we have to protect the right to vote, make sure everyone votes, but uh, <clears throat> we need to be careful about the means that we use, and we ought to do everything we can to ensure that uh, votes are properly counted and that the public can have confidence in the results when they're announced. Yeah. You ever read, ever heard the story of a landslide Lyndon Johnson? Yes, of course. Down in uh, Texas in the Senate race? That's uh, I'm reading uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin's book on... Uh, the different four leaders, well, I, Lincoln and Johnson and the two Roosevelts. Pretty I still, interesting. I still remember the 1960 election when somehow the river wards in Chicago were late coming in and uh, when uh, to give Illinois to John Kennedy to win that election. And uh, we've, had, we've had lots of stories about that. And to his credit, Richard Nixon, who is supposed to be such a slimy, terrible guy, decided that he wasn't going to challenge the election. Imagine that, mm. as opposed to Al Gore, John Kerry, and the Democrats who have challenged every Republican presidential election starting in 2000 and everyone since. Hey, Cliff, anything else? No, that'd be all. Thanks for taking my call. Thank Have you, sir. Appreciate you. Thank you. 1025, a break. Back more with Judge Steigman up until 11 o'clock here on Penny for Your Thoughts. Hey, Illini family, it's Illinois Volleyball Coach Chris Thomas. We'll see you Thursday night at Huff Hall for a matchup with Wisconsin at 7 p.m. And listen right here on DWS. Ten twenty-eight on a penny for your thoughts. If you need some roof work done, maybe you need some uh, roof washing done or Peak 301 treatment. Folks at uh, Roger Ochiltree and Roofs by Roger, they uh, with the roof washing can destroy mold and algae before they destroy your roof, improve the look of your property and curb appeal, increase the life of your shingles. All of that happens. 301 Peak Treatment was a formula-based, uh, originated or developed by Iowa State University that restores the molecules of your shingles, extends the life of your roof by six years guaranteed, and saves homeowners 80 to 85% compared to roof replacement. 
Make sure you give Roofs by Roger a call, 217-834-3800. Roger's been at this for a long time. He's been close to 50 years. Uh, Roofs by Roger, about the time I graduated from college, uh, 35 years ago or so. So uh, make sure you check him out, Roofs by Roger. Just as Robert Steigman is with us here on A Penny for Your Thoughts, Vicki is next. Hi, Vicki. Hi there. How are you? Good. Good morning. Good morning. Good. Um, I just had a, a brief thing to say. I, You know, the reason that I want to know how people are thinking about the last election is because of January 6th. And I haven't really heard anybody say that today, but that is what I'm looking for is, are they people that are therefore <clears throat> supportive of what transpired then? Um, well, who, who, uh, I wanna... who have you heard who says they're in support of it? I haven't heard anyone no. say I support the riots in January 6th. No, but the people that were there, they were all about the illegitimate election, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. and they were wrong, yep. and they should have been punished, it. and they are. Well, and, and they certainly were wrong. However, if somebody else is also a denier, it makes me very nervous. How about the 2016 so, deniers? Are you nervous about them? No, I'm not, because I know who they are. You mean Biden uh, and Hillary and is, Kamala well, Harris? The other thing is, sir, that was also six years ago. I like to move on a little bit, but I will go back to then... 2016, when uh, Trump was going around saying that if I lose, it's because it was stolen. It was a hoax uh, over and over ahead of time. He also said, and then we're going to go the day after he won the election, he said, I'm going to uh, uh, have these two terms. Uh, I'll obviously have the two terms, and people will be so happy with me that they will roll back the two-term limit. So we have a person who's quite large in his belief system for himself. Well, that's, he's, that's he's, he's the ultimate narcissistic, but, uh, yeah, and he, he said is. a lot of silly yeah, things. What does that have to do yeah. with... Uh, uh, the people who are running for office now, how does that affect them? Because they apparently are supportive of him, and I find that troublesome. Um, you know, I, I'm always amazed when you're on, on the air uh, that we refer to you as a judge, and of course you are a justice, but you are so imbalanced to me, and I would like people to be a little more even-keeled, to be honest on the show okay thank you vicky thank you yep you bet good to hear from you one thing that i think where uh, and people have really criticized trump and i trump and i think fairly so on january 6th in, in the lead up to that was that he gave the impression that the people that were in the capitol that day they've got to get to the capitol and stop the ceremonial counting of the electoral votes which is why there's a bill now where they're trying to change to make everybody understand that there's nothing the vice president could or could not do. It was his job to count the votes, and I think that's where he created the impression well, that, he, hey, let's go down there and stop that. He and did. I think, he know. was wrong. It was a stupid thing to say. Mm -hmm. He's clearly a narcissistic guy, and uh, that was, of uh, uh, his four-year term as president, that was his worst time and worst moment, and 
uh, creating all these difficulties and problems, and there was no reason for it. What he needed to do, in my mind, was do what Richard Nixon did in 1960. Say, hey, for the good of the country, good luck to Joe Biden. Yes. I'm back in four years. And that, just leave it at that. That's exactly and, right. And what he should have done. And he, but I, and don't, he, I don't know of anyone uh, who's, who's yeah. supported the January 6th riot. I haven't heard anyone mm-hmm. saying that was a good idea. It wasn't. It was bad. And the people involved should be punished. All right, 1033 News Headlines brought to you by Blaine's Farm and Fleet. Hang on, the uh, line's starting to fill back up again. So Brad, Grant, John, hang on. A lot of textures, too. Trying to uh, drink from a fire hose here this morning with Justice Robert Steigman. We're back in a moment here at CBS. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, this is Colin Likas with the News Gazette. Join us on Wednesday for the Serve Pro Prep Football Confidential Show, powered by the U of I Army ROTC, live at 6 p.m. right here on DWS. So let's leave it alone Cause we can't see eye to eye There ain't no good guy There ain't no bad guy There's only you and me and we just disagree 10.36 on a penny for your thoughts Headed for a high of 68 today And we're in the mid-50s or so at the moment It'll warm up a little bit as we go all right, I'm going to get the judge's response. i got a full bank of calls, so let me uh, just have you do quickly through these. Uh, let's see. Can the judge explain or attempt to describe why so many black defendants are choosing to go with self-defense as a lawyer? You they mean look, self-representation? Self-representation, <clears throat> I guess. I, yeah. I don't know. I think it's uh, my guess, and I've seen this for decades, is <clears throat> there are people who are charged with serious crimes who think – if they exercise their constitutional right to defend themselves without a lawyer, which they have the right to do, that somehow the court will screw things up so that uh, when they're convicted, they will have a good issue on appeal. Mm. I can tell you that that almost never works. We just had a case here locally, right? Pardon? We just had a case here locally. Oh, yeah, we've had several cases. And we have cases, uh, and uh, it's not just black defendants. As a matter of fact, if I... If I had to guess, I'd say it's more white defendants in that position than black ones. But it doesn't make any difference. Whoever they are, that's what they're trying to do. It almost never works, and it's pretty silly. How long is a judge's term, someone wants to know? Uh, judges on the appellate court have 10-year terms. Okay. How about locally? Circuit judge? Circuit you? judges have six-year terms. Six-year so term. uh, okay. I will be standing for retention, the good Lord willing, that I'm still able to do it, in 2024 when I'm 79. There you go. All right. Uh, Grant is up next. Hi, Grant. Hey, Brian. Hey, Judge. How you guys doing? Good. 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 I, I, you know, Judge, I was just kind of alarmed when I was listening in about the uh, attempted equivalency between 2016 and 2020. So I wanted to ask you, um, the Mueller report, the independent counsel charged more than 30 people, including Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort and others in the Russia, Russia investigation. And I'm just wondering, are you disagreeing with the Mueller report? I don't understand the uh, the hesitancy about just answering the 2020 question instead of deflecting to that. Well, what I'm saying is that the claim 
that Donald Trump was a Russian asset and that he concluded with Russia to be elected in 2016 and therefore rendered his election as president illegitimate is crazy. It's delusional. And there is no support for that at all. The uh, Mueller report had all these people, trained expert DOJ uh, FBI people who looked into this for two years and spent millions of dollars, and if there were any basis to this claim, would have found it, uh, that there were some irregularities or problems with anyone else doesn't matter. It was the Russian hoax that Donald Trump was an illegitimate president. And only Brett Stevens, the columnist for the New York Times, whom I've quoted, has had the intellectual honesty to say it was a hoax. And I'm sorry for it. And uh, no one else seems to talk about it. All right. From Grant to John. Hi, John. Good morning. Good morning. You guys hitting it out of the park again. Oh, thank you. The, the uh, great, great discussion. Um, the 2016 election was addressed. The 2020 address, uh, election was addressed. If we go all the way back to, I believe it was 1876, I believe, where... It appeared the Democrat won, but we got a Republican president, if I'm correct. And uh, you are. That was that, Rutherford B. Hayes, right? And that led to Jim Crow and yep. all the issues we're still suffering from. So my point is, nothing's new under the sun. When you lose, you deny that you lost, and the only one where it makes they're making it stick is with Trump and. Uh, yeah, we have problems. James, Jim Car- Jimmy Carter and James Baker wrote a report that you should never vote by mail. <clears throat> you should have an election day, et cetera, et cetera. All that has been disregarded with intent, I believe. Anyway, those liberals out there listening, enjoy your day. Have, hey, have a good one. Thanks for the Thank discussion, you, John. Guys. Thank you. You appreciate it. Yeah, if you look through history, That's right, they ate, uh, everything that – issues come out of it was a compromise of some sort right somebody had to say okay i'm not going to get everything i want so and then as a result things happened yep. like jim crow right. out of that 1876 agreement to try to get a president the democrats in. in congress insisted we will give you our electoral votes if you will withdraw the federal troops pers- Mm-hmm. protecting the freed slaves in 1876. And then they did, uh, so the Republicans got it. So the Democrats, who were, again, the party of Jim Crow and slavery and segregation right up until the 1960s and the Ku Klux Klan, uh, that's how it worked. And by the way, his point is not correct. Not everyone disputed election results, even though there was a basis. As I pointed out, Richard Nixon because of the importance of the office of 1960, said, I'm not going to challenge the election results. When you go back to the Compromise of 1820, yes, go to the Compromise <laughs> of 1850, yeah. uh, the, the Bleeding Kansas, Kansas-Nebraska the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Act. Oh, sure. I mean, you can go through, and everything, what they thought, what the original hope was, is that slavery would die out on its own. Right. And what happened is that uh, the South, in particular, became dependent on cotton and exporting cotton and the cotton gin that was invented. And so there was all kinds of things that happened 
side by side that resulted in things happening differently than people thought it would, and they had to have another compromise to get to another compromise. As a matter of fact, the 1876 compromise might have been one of those things that empowered Jim Crow that led to Plessy versus Ferguson, which was the Supreme Court's dealing with the issue of separate but equal, and it might very well have been that if we still had some federal supervision, federal troops down there of this area of the country that had been in insurrection, uh, that uh, the imposition of Jim Crow laws would have been restricted or held back. History is fascinating, yes, isn't it? Is. It really is. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's why I love it. All right, Charles, how you doing? Hi, how you doing? Good. What's up? Oh, I am just had a question about for Judge Stogman. Yeah, go ahead. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I had a question, um, and this was about uh, Aaron Emmons was on the show a while back, and he mentioned cameras in the voting locations. Do you know anything about this? No, I don't. Uh, I The only thing I've heard about is there have been some people who want to record uh, set up cameras where drop boxes are to see who shows up at drop boxes for ballots. And uh, I don't know if, what the story is about that. But the, the only interesting article I saw was by some law school professor who said, uh, anything that happens in the public can be recorded. You can film it. And I think that's probably right. And uh, though people claim, why well, I'm being intimidated, but it's not clear to me why you're being intimidated if you are being recorded just dropping off ballots. And one of the claims is maybe ballot harvesters are doing something improper here, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about all of this, and uh, that's the extent of my knowledge. Well, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it'll keep the uh, elections transparent and everything. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. All right. Hey, thank you, Charles. Thank you. Good to, good to hear from you. i got to get a break in. 1044, I'm racing against the clock. We'll continue with more. Against a lot of folks, the folks that want to get in with the judge. He's pretty popular today. <laughs> so we'll uh, come back after this. Now at NewsGazette.com, Inside Illini Basketball, our weekly podcast with beat writer Scott Ritchie, will tell you who stood out most at Friday's exhibition. It was Coleman Hawkins. Ten forty-seven. Justice Steigman with us here today. If you miss any of the show, if you jumped in late, you can always go to wdws.com and listen in on that. Ryan Dallas Real Estate. They've been voted back to back to back to back to back People's Choice Award winners. That's five, uh, courtesy of the News Gazette. If you need to move a home, sell a home, buy a home, whatever the case is, and of course, a little tricky out there these days with interest rates that are up for I think the highest rate since '01. So uh, make sure you get some help with all of that stuff and getting your home ready to sell, and they can move it quickly for you. RyanDallasRE.com. Give the folks at Ryan Dallas a call, and they can help you out. All right, a couple of quickies here on the uh, text line. Uh, what do you think of the legality of Unit 4 school ending school of choice and using free and reduced lunch to get to increased diversity in the schools? opinion on that okay I don't know anything about it all right um let's see trump's taxes should be turned in the supreme court has been bought by trump okay uh let's see uh, da, 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 da. 
did any of the judges' 2016 election deniers incite their followers to storm the seat of U.S. government, Steve says. No, and that was bad. How many times do I have to say it? It was bad. Shouldn't have done it, and the people who did it were punished. Does that mean that the claim that President Trump was illegitimate is uh, somehow now justified? Hi, Judge. Why do judges have to declare a Republican or Democrat when running for a job? It shouldn't matter. Well, we talked about that earlier. Uh, let's see. Let's go back to the phones, and Gertie's with us. How you doing, Gertie? I just had one comment. Ammons was on the other day talking about how safe and accurate mail-in ballots were. Um, I have a friend in the last election that did not request a mail-in ballot, and he received three, three separate ballots in the mail. That's all i got to say. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Gertie. We go from Gertie to Susan. Good morning, Susan. You're on with the judge. Hi, Judge, and hi, Brian. I want to apologize because I asked this on Friday, and it was a long time. Uh, um, we, my husband and I were thinking for the first time to be election judges, judge, and we saw in there, you know, that you have to write all this information, which we were fine with, except you had to declare Republican or Democrat, and then they basically said that they, were, they, they didn't have enough spot. They were, had too many for Democrats. But my concern is that I have voted all Democratic, Republican, or Libertarian in my life. What about the people who, who are the people who are not either undecided at this very important juncture? How do they, who, who represents them on the election, Judge? Where do you have to get up? If, say you're one of the people, I love green trees. I'm, I'm being very facetious here. But I'm, I'm just saying if you're a Libertarian, who represents you as an election judge if that's not even indicated on the application process? Well, it's it's a good question. <clears throat> the legislature has appropriately, I think, made a determination that we need election judges to have a balance between the two major mm -hmm. political parties, Democrat and Republican, so that mm -hmm. when you go to a precinct to vote, uh, there is a sense that it's on the up and up that the Democrats can't be doing anything funky because the Republican election judge is watching, and vice versa. Um, now, what about other parties? Well, the other parties are pretty small in number, and the reason they want you to say, are you a Republican or Democrat before I become an election judge, is because they want this sort of balance. Now, it's an imperfect system. You raise some legitimate questions, but I think on the whole, it's, it makes sense. Okay. okay. I just thought that was interesting that there's not a third or an other. Right. Because I was thinking if I was a person very far or just confused right now, and a lot of people are confused, you know what I mean, that we're not going to necessarily vote D across the board or R across the board, and therefore, does that lock you in? And what about those people on the periphery? And I'm not really one on the periphery right now. You know, where's their voice? But I think what you're saying is I understand that they're less in number, but they're still Americans. Okay. That's my point. Very good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Susan. Yep, good to hear from you. 1052, another quick break. Back with the judge after this. Baby, lay on back and relax. Kick your pretty feet up on my dash. No need to go nowhere fast. Let's enjoy right here. All right, back with Justice Steigman, and uh, boy, we could always use that extra hour or two uh, for all the things we want to get to. Real quick, a couple of folks uh, says, for the record, I completely hated the entire Russian collusion, the three-year investigation, millions of dollars 
spent on that investigation, and no surprise, nothing burger that investigation produced. It was wrong of the National Democrats to waste the time and money on that hoax. How does any of that prove that Trump won the 2020 election, if we're going to put words in each other's mouths? I am enjoying the program today anyway, Judge. Well, it, it obviously doesn't. It has nothing to do with 2020 election. All I'm looking is for some balance, that if uh, you're an election denier and disqualifying, as the Chicago Tribune says with regard to the 2020 election, why isn't it equally disqualifying if you accept the ridiculous Russia hoax that so many of the Democrats' uh, national leadership said about 2016, claiming uh, Trump is illegitimate. Now, from my point of view, none of this should matter. None of this should be anything. Should be an issue either way. An issue either way, but if it's going to be an issue, it ought to be balanced. And and the one is crazier. It's more delusionary than the unsubstantiated allegation the votes weren't counted. All right, and somebody else said, uh, sorry, you didn't have time for my call. Uh, simply wanted to point out the high level of assumptions and sweeping generalizations that the Democrats are happy to spread. The judge and the lion's share of conservatives do not agree with the attack of last January. A ballot cast in favor of Republican candidates does not mean the voter is an insurrectionist. So, well, there you go. All right, you got a couple of quick <clears throat> Yeah, just uh, some more on media bias. Here's a headline from the News Gazette, AP headline from uh, three weeks ago, uh, about the Capitol hearings on January 6th. Quote, Thomas, this is Jenny Thomas, uh, Clarence Thomas's wife. Thomas reiterates false election claims and testimony. That's the headline with regard to uh, the January 20. Has anyone ever seen a headline that says Democratic politician or spokesperson, quote, reiterates false election claim about the Russian collusion in the 2016 election, unquote. And if anyone has ever done that, you know, that'd be like watching unicorns fly. And and here's the other example. Again, I've, I mentioned this repeatedly on this show of media bias. <clears throat> Here's a story about Tom Brady. Uh, he took Governor DeSantis to the Packer game at Lambeau Field, and uh, there was a gathering uh, at, uh, at that time of Lake County Patriots, which is described in this article from the Associated Press as a far-right group at a brewery in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Now, the point is, the media uses constantly descriptions of various groups on the right as a far-right group or a hard-right group. Mm -hmm. Yet, has any listener, this is why I'm doing this, has any listener ever read or heard a description of anyone as a Far left group, or a far leftist, or a hard leftist, and the answer is, of course, no. And that even includes, I'd like to point out, Angela Davis, who is an avowed communist, who goes around lecturing and still is doing her thing, has been on this campus. But by God, she's not a far leftist or a hard leftist. So, you know, we're we're looking for some balance here. This is like the gotcha business on. The 2020 election, but don't mention the 2016 election. If you're going to talk about someone as being far right, mm. how about the far left as well? Mm. Can unicorns fly? That I, was the. I think so. <laughs> only, only if they're tricolored. Uh, you know, I, you don't see a unicorn, and can they fly? I don't know. I, yeah, that's, well, that's a, there's a double whammy there somewhere. Well, so. you'll you'll see a flying yeah. unicorn the next time you see someone in the press refer to someone as a far leftist. <laughs> Or alt-left. Alt-left, yeah, yes, yeah. there you go. 
Hey, Bob, good to see you. It's always a pleasure, are you, Brian. Are you voting Election Day? I'm voting Election Day by paper ballot. You bet. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, enjoy your uh, rest of your day. And go Atlanta on Saturday. That's right. Get Michigan State. Thank you, sir. Always appreciate it. Very good. Justice Robert Steigman with us here today. Man, that two hours flew by. If you miss any of it, WDWS.com. Clarissa Nickerson, foreman in the first hour tomorrow, candidate for Sheriff John Brown tomorrow as well. And Dustin Harmon near the end of the week and our Illini Friday at the end of the week as well. All that straight ahead. As we head for Election Day next week. WDWS, Champaign Urbana, news next at 11 Central. <laughs>